Hi everyone, welcome to the Understand the Bible podcast. We're taking a break today from our series on the book of Revelation. We'll be back to that next week, but we're taking a look today at Daniel chapter 4. This was a sermon I preached in our church a few weeks ago, looking at Daniel chapter 4, particularly focusing on what Daniel uh, Nebuchadnezzar says those who walk in pride he is able to humble and we're thinking about how God wants us to turn away from our pride and turn to him. So we're going to be looking at that and you might like to have a read of the passage as we won't be going through all of it. It's uh, Daniel chapter 4 the whole chapter. You might like to have a look at that and have that open as you listen. So thanks so much everyone. Just a quick reminder once again that there is more content available on the Understand the Bible YouTube channel. There's a weekly Bible study and there is also, I'm doing a series at the moment on what the Bible is, how we understand the Bible and so on. Just all about the Bible it's called. So you might like to have a look at that. And if you'd like to support Understand the Bible there are various ways you can pray, you can support financially. Um, There are ways of doing that and the link is in the description below if you would like to. Thanks so much everyone and I'll be back next week and I hope you enjoy the sermon. Well, last year at Holiday Club, in our children's holiday club, we looked at The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, the famous uh, Narnia story by C.S. Lewis. And uh, one of the days we watched the film, uh, you know, the film they made, made a few years ago. And um, one of the scenes in that film towards the end, I think they, they do this very well, is the battle between the followers of Aslan, who are on the side of the good and the right, and against the wicked queen, and against her forces. And I think what they do well in the film is they bring up the sense of how it seems like an overwhelming battle. It seems like the forces of evil are overwhelming and that they're going to win. And, um, and it seems like the, the, the good guys come close to defeat. And that's, uh, that's part of the story, but you know, perhaps you can think of many times through history when that was the case, when it seemed like you know, the good guys came pretty close to defeat. And perhaps you think about the world today, and maybe you think that you know, not, just in, not just in our own lives, but just in the world, that evil seems to be in the ascendancy. There seems to be the last few years especially, there have been so many things that have happened, you know, I mean, just this year you think about the war in, in Ukraine and so on and, and things like this happening. And you think it, perhaps it's just getting harder and harder as well to stand on, on what the Bible says because in our, just in our society we're moving so far away from what God says in, in the Bible that actually it's becoming much more difficult to stand on what, on God's word. And maybe you're thinking, well, you know, wouldn't it just be easier? Wouldn't it be easier if I could just go along with everything that the world says? Now, wouldn't it just be easier for me if I could go along with everything that I hear on the TV, on the radio, on the internet, the media, all of those things? My life would be so much simpler. I would fit in. I wouldn't have to rub up against all the time about what's happening in the world. Maybe that's what you think. Well, Daniel, I think, the whole book of Daniel, but this chapter today particularly helps us to understand why we should stand firm and how we should stand firm on what the Bible actually says. Now, this is quite a long chapter, so we're not going to go through the whole thing. 
I'm just going to look at things from Daniel's perspective, uh, from Nebuchadnezzar's perspective first, and then from Daniel's perspective. So, uh, first of all, Nebuchadnezzar's, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's perspective. And so Nebuchadnezzar had a, has another dream. And you remember a few weeks ago, in chapter 2, we were looking at this, how he had a dream before. So he must be getting quite used to it by now. But this time, the dream, you might think, is a little bit more straightforward. You know, then the dream was a sort of a great big statue and, you know, with different parts and so on. It was all a bit more mysterious. But this time round, the dream is a bit more plain and straightforward, isn't it? It's a bit more obvious. So, um, for example, it's, it's given pretty much to Nebuchadnezzar in, in verse 17. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High Sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. Now you might think, well, that's, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? That's pretty obviously a message that God's going to humble you, Nebuchadnezzar. Why doesn't Nebuchadnezzar get that particular message? Because it was, you know, it's a common thing in films today, isn't it? You know, the idea of someone proud getting humbled, you know, it's it, it, all, all over our culture. The other um, few weeks ago, I was watching again that film, The Magnificent Seven, you know, the Western, and think about the, the bad guys at the beginning who were threatening the, the village and were all, you know, giving it all that. And, and, um, and you know, that, that they, get, they get their comeuppance, don't they, at the end? Not to, not to spoil the film for you, but, you know, you know it's going to happen, right? And that's the point of it. And it was the same for the, in Babylon. Apparently, in Babylon, there were streets called um, Bow Down Proud One. And as Nebuchadnezzar looked down from his palace, he could see a street called... That was what they used to name their streets, apparently. And his palace, one of the names for it was the place where proud ones are, are compelled to be humbled or something like that. So they knew this in Babylon. They knew this in Babylon, that people who are proud are compelled to, to submit. But Nebuchadnezzar had a lot to be proud about. Let me read you just a little bit about, about Babylon, about his palace. Nebuchadnezzar stood on his palace roof, which had been made of cedar from the forests of Lebanon. Stacked all around were over 15 million bricks, each containing his name and royal titles. He was surrounded by six walls and a 262-foot moat. Six, by, that's the whole of Babylon, by the way. Uh, six walls it had, and apparently the walls were up to 40 foot high and were wide enough for two chariots to pass in places. And a, a 262-foot moat, I mean, you go and visit a castle in this country, you know, you see a moat, which is like a pond, a 262-foot, goodness me, you know, it dwarfs that, doesn't it? That whole city. So Nebuchadnezzar had a lot to be proud about. Apparently, he built the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Um, and um, if you go to the British Museum, you can see some of the things from his throne room, including a beautiful um, panel of a roaring lion from his throne room, which Daniel probably would have seen. It's amazing. So uh, Nebuchadnezzar had a lot to be proud about. But God gives Nebuchadnezzar, in his kindness, gives him a warning. He says to him um, that, look, you're going, pride comes before a fall, basically. And like the proverb, 
That's what, that's the meaning of the dream effectively, isn't it? It's a warning of his pride. So we know what happens, as we've just heard, 12 months after hearing it, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't listen and he says, um, is not this the great Babylon I have built by my mighty power for the glory of my majesty? So why doesn't Nebuchadnezzar listen? Why doesn't he listen? Well, that's because pride is perhaps a deeper problem than we think it is. Especially what the Bible says about pride. This is what it says, for example, in Psalm, uh, Psalm 10. So back to Psalm 10. So Psalm 10, verses 2 to 4. In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak, who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts about the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. See, this is the problem with pride. According to the Bible, pride is not just a human emotion of getting a bit too big for your own boots, but pride is actually turning away from God. That's the root problem with pride. It's about turning away from God. It's a spiritual thing as much as it is a sort of emotional thing, if you like. Someone who is proud is looking to themselves and not looking to God. And that's the way that we human beings like it, as, as the Bible, the rest of the Bible sort of goes into. We don't have time to go into all of that now. But I think one of the, the interesting things where this, this makes a difference for us I don't know if you've ever done any sort of training on evangelism, on, you know, sharing the gospel, read books perhaps about this. And often you might come away from that training and come away from the books thinking, you know what we really need? The thing that I really need is to have better arguments. I need to come up with a better argument to convince someone that God is there, that, God, that Jesus is real and so on, all of those things. But actually what this says is that it's not better arguments. The problem is pride. It's a spiritual thing and that's what needs to be overcome. And if we don't understand that, it can lead to real frustration. I remember a few years ago, while I was still at Bible college, um, I, we went on a mission as students and I was talking to someone who was an atheist and trying to argue with him and, and you know, trying to, you know, and my, my points just didn't seem to land. He just kept on going back to the same things again as if I hadn't said anything really and it was very frustrating uh, but the point is that you know with pride that gets in the way you know we don't want to listen and that's the point there as with Nebuchadnezzar so it is today as well people don't want to hear they don't want to listen because they're proud and that's what needs to be dealt with but the good news is that God did get through to Nebuchadnezzar and that should give us hope as well. God did get through to Nebuchadnezzar. Before he could listen, he needed to be humbled. And he was. And it's like that today, perhaps not in such a, a dramatic way as it was with Nebuchadnezzar. But it is like that today. You might know, perhaps you, you've had this experience yourself or people you know have had this experience. I know that there are people in the church who've, who've had a similar experience, but it was only when they come to the end of their resources, their natural resources, that they turn to God. 
it was only when they got to the, perhaps through suffering, maybe they or, or someone they knew was ill, that they turned to God. Now, when we realise we can't do it ourselves, that's when we, we ditch our pride and we look to God, isn't it? This is what C.S. Lewis said in his book, The Problem of Pain. Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. That pain can actually get through, can break through pride in a way that other things can't. And that's something really that, that God can do. It doesn't always have to be pain, but that's often the way that God seems to, to use to bring people uh, to him. So I think if there are people who you'd love to, to come to the Lord, you'd love to share the gospel with, but there's nothing there, then I would say the best thing to do is just commit them to God in prayer. It's not the only thing, you know, be prepared to speak to them and, and about God, you know, about Jesus, all of those. But just commit them to God in prayer every day because God can break through pride. He's able to do that. He did that for Nebuchadnezzar and he can do that today as well. So let's look at things now from Daniel's perspective. Um, so Daniel, as we saw at the, uh, at the start, the dream was not a very complex dream to interpret, was it really? I think the dream was quite straightforward. So why is it that when Nebuchadnezzar brings in all of the magicians and astrologers and all, all of these people, why is it that none of them could actually interpret the dream or at least have a go at it? Because it wasn't really that hard, I don't think. I think they could have done. Well, I think it was actually, they did understand what it was, but they thought, you know what, it's not worth the risk. In, in those days, telling something like that to a king could get your head cut off. And I mean, let's be honest with you, who wants to be the one to tell a king you're gonna be humbled or you need, to, you need to turn away from your pride? No one wants to be that. And you see, it's like that today, isn't it? I mean, if, if someone in authority, I mean, imagine saying that to the prime minister or to maybe your boss in a company you know you need to turn away it's, it's very difficult isn't it with that relationship but how much more so in those days when you could fear for your life if you did that but Daniel he's a model of, of graciousness in the way that he does this so in verse <laughs> verse 19 it says Daniel was greatly perplexed for a time and his thoughts terrified him maybe that's what he's thinking and maybe he's thinking, oh dear, this, this could get my head cut off here. I don't know. Um, but the king says, uh, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Uh, I like that it says something about their relationship there. And Daniel says, my lord, if only the dream applied to you and your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. It's a model of, of speaking these things in a gracious and sort of loving way. He cares about Nebuchadnezzar. And then he tells the king what the dream means, as we've heard. And then he, he adds a little bit there in verse 27. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. 
So he gives advice to the king. He doesn't just give him the meaning, but he says, actually, I would, I would do this if I were you. Now, if, if Nebuchadnezzar didn't want to hear the message about being humbled, I'd imagine he wouldn't have been too keen on hearing the message, um, renounce your sins and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. I'd imagine that Nebuchadnezzar probably wouldn't have been keen to hear that. Nonetheless, Daniel says it. And his reaction is, is not actually recorded in here. Nebuchadnezzar's reaction. Maybe it wasn't a good reaction. And maybe that's why we don't hear much about Daniel for the next, you know, for this year. But um, he doesn't listen either way. We know that much. And it's, it's very like today, isn't it? You know, people don't like to hear a message about sin and about repentance. It's not very popular, is it? To, to actually tell people, you know, you're on, the, you're on the wrong path or you're, as Jesus says, you're on a wide road to destruction. That's not a very popular message. No one likes to hear that. And I think this is where we need to learn from Daniel. Because Daniel, he, he shows Nebuchadnezzar real love and compassion, doesn't it? There's lots of proverbs about this, how, you know, wounds from a friend can be trusted because you know someone loves you, they will speak the truth. And that's what Daniel does. He doesn't consider his own safety, but he goes ahead and speaks the truth. And there are lots of examples, actually, of, of Daniel through this whole time. He's a man who doesn't consider his own well-being, uh, puts that below the well-being of Nebuchadnezzar and his friends and others. And he tells the truth. He has an unpopular message, which he tells Nebuchadnezzar, and that's like us today, isn't it? You know, we have a message of repentance, which we need to tell the world. It's delivered in love. He tells it because he cares for Nebuchadnezzar. And that should be like us as well. We should tell people because we care about them. And he's truthful and faithful to this message. And likewise, we need to be truthful and faithful to the, the whole message of the Bible. And not just say the bits which will play well to the, to the crowd. There are bits of the Bible which will play well to the crowd at the moment. And there are bits which aren't. And we need to speak all of it. So let's, as we um, come towards an end here, let's draw a few conclusions. Just things which I'd like, to, like us to be thinking about in this, in this coming week. I think the, the big lesson from the book of Daniel is that there are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of the world, which at that time was Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, but whoever is the authority at the time, it's, it's the kingdom of the world. And the world, it, it may look impressive and big and powerful and, and impregnable. It may look big, impressive, and it also proud. There's also the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, which may look small and unimpressive, but we know from Daniel that it will endure forever, that it is powerful, and that ultimately we want to be on the side of that kingdom, not on any earthly kingdom. We should be looking to God's kingdom and to his ways, rather than looking to earthly kingdoms for our, well, for everything really, our values, our beliefs, everything. Now, how does this message apply today? 
um, because you know we've spoken a lot about um, in, in sort of general terms but I'd just like to, to leave you with perhaps one more concrete example um, and I had to go for this because as you have probably seen we are in Pride Month at the moment this is the month of Pride and you may have seen the rainbow flags and, and everything around and for those of you who um, you know if, if you're, you're not quite sure what Pride is it's basically um, I think it started back in the 1970s as a day for people who are either gay or you know, homosexual to kind of um, be, say, well, I want to be proud in my identity, actually, rather than hide it. And it's kind of turned into this celebration of all sorts of, all sorts of things, including transgender as well. And, that's, and the rainbow flag is associated with it. And it's, it, it looks, I mean, wherever you turn at the moment in society, it is there. It's there in supermarkets. You know, you go in the supermarket. I remember a, um, last year I went to um, Sainsbury's and outside they had a big banner with the rainbow flag on it. We support, you know, pride and, and so on. It's in um, businesses. You know, a lot of um, businesses on their, if you're on social media, they'll update their flags um, and so on. It's, um, you know, see it all over the place. Um, there are... Um, uh, the police have got in on it. I noticed just the last couple of weeks, police cars in Clacton which say um, policing with pride and with their rainbow flags on. It's even in PowerPoint. Yeah, the other day, on Microsoft PowerPoint on the computer, the other day, I went to start up a new PowerPoint presentation and it said, would you like to start a pride theme presentation? Um, so, you know, it's even in, even in your computer software. Um, it's everywhere. And maybe for us, it looks a bit like how the Babylonians must have appeared to Daniel. You know, it's everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. It's all conquering. But how should we as Christians respond? Well, we can't change what the Bible says. That's the thing, isn't it? You know, that at the end of the day, we have to really stick with what the Bible says, which is that, you know, God made us as male and female. And God made sex to be within that, that committed, lifelong relationship. We do have a message of, of forgiveness. And that's a really important message, isn't it? That we're all sinful, we're all broken. We all need to hear that message of forgiveness. Now, this is not trying to single out any group of people. And we all, we conflict with the world in so many ways, not just this one. But we need to stand firm, don't we? We need to stand firm. On, on what the Bible says, even when it conflicts with what God says, uh, with what um, the, the world says. We need to stand firmly on what God says, not on what the world says. And we need to learn from Daniel. We need to learn that it's in love we lovingly tell others of what the Bible says. Speak to them about the truth. Speak to them about, about Jesus, about that message of forgiveness. Because we do have that message, and it's a message for everyone, isn't it? No, the, the message of Jesus is repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It's for everyone, not just for, for any small group of people, but it's for everyone. But we do also have to sound that note of warning. And this is a note which uh, is not popular, but it, it's one which is right there in the Bible. And we need to sound this, this message as well. This is what it says, for example... In Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Put to death, therefore, 
whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. We need to talk about that as well. And it's the message that we need to speak in love to people who need to hear it. We need to learn from Daniel. So I'd just like to finish by a question I hope that we'll be thinking about in this coming week, which is that which kingdom are we living in? Are we living in the kingdom of the world and just accepting the values of the world and the values which we see on the TV, the radio, the media, whatever it may be? Or are we actually living in God's kingdom and standing firmly on what he has given us in his word and actually proclaiming that message? Let's pray as we close. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you have given us uh, your word and we thank you that you have helped us to see um, what it means to walk with you. And we pray that over this coming, uh, this coming week, these coming months, Lord, that you would help us to grow in, in humility, not walking in pride, but walking humbly with you. And we pray that you would help us to stand firmly on your word and your ways and to be able to speak with love, uh, following Daniel's example, to those who we meet, our family, our friends, uh, those we love, even if it means having difficult conversations. Please help us to stand firmly in love on your ways and your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.